We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And if you've been tuned out from basketball for a couple months because the Lakers stunk this year and uh, it wasn't particularly fun to watch basketball, but you're somehow listening to the pod, first of all, thank you. Secondly, I completely understand. And thirdly, Try to adopt a team or a player or something. There's some really great basketball being played right now. We had a trio of game fives tonight that we're going to try to hit uh, each game in each segment. And we're going to start with Miami and Atlanta. Miami ended up closing out Atlanta despite the best efforts of DeAndre Hunter, who was phenomenal down the stretch, but they couldn't quite do it. And just the fact that it was DeAndre Hunter as their go-to guy down the stretch, I want to start through that Lakers lens that we all always try to call back to. Trey Young, after a pretty electric playoff performance in last season's playoffs, Miami locked him up in the first round. And to the point, again, where with Atlanta's life on the line, they were going to DeAndre Hunter, the big wing who could get his own shot a little bit because Trey could not. And that was something that I noticed throughout this series. The Miami plays a, a very high caliber of defense, D. And when you're able to switch up your looks and put size on those smaller guards, it, it makes life difficult on them. Life in the playoffs can be very tough. One element that that I was thinking while watching Trey, too, is that he's not the greatest athlete, which I think is another kind of factor because we're going to talk about Ja a little bit later, who struggled, but then, uh, you know, played well and had a game winner tonight. So let's harken back to that small guard conversation. I'd love to hear your perspective on now that we have a few playoff games to look at that. When you look at a small guard, I tend to always go back to like, well, what is the defense capable of doing? Right. Because you could be a small guard, but if the defense can't switch and if the defense has to play in a drop because their big isn't very mobile, if like what are the different things that your defense can do? And that's where I think my like so I I'm going to shift right back to Miami again because they're going to give a lot of guards a lot of problems. 
right? But they're especially going to give a smaller guard like Trey issues. And I also think, too, that this plays into some of Trey's weaknesses as a player in general. He He is such a creative passer, but his passing windows, you can disrupt his passing windows in ways that even, like, Trey's even smaller than Steph, Right. And, and so Steph has all of these nifty ways that he gets passes off, but he's also playing with a guy who operates in the short role in Draymond that goes to spots on the floor where they have a real synergy where it's just like, OK, well, this is where you're going to be open. So that's where I'm going to throw throw the ball. And Trey doesn't really have a partner like that. So he has to back dribble a lot and then jump and try to throw skip passes or like there's no real pocket outlet for him that's going to create the types of dynamic four on threes that really get your offense going and so when i look at a guy like like trey showing high on him or trapping him or getting high hands with bigger defenders and then being able to at the last minute bail out of that and switch and have a guy like like bam up on you is and then stay with you in in a way that is like okay well there's six seconds left on the shot clock what am i going to do now with a dude who's on me and i'm 25 feet from from the basket those sorts of things just disrupt your entire flow and and mike we've seen the lakers when they're at when they've been at their best with LeBron and and Anthony Davis do that a bunch to smaller guards right or even guards who aren't necessarily as small as as Trey but they've done it to like Dame and they did it to Jamal Murray and they've done it to even players like Donovan Mitchell or even James Harden at times and and and, Steph. and yeah. so and Steph too yes yeah so it doesn't surprise me that a small guard could be that this can happen to a small guard, but I think it speaks more to Miami to a certain extent than it does necessarily just to Trey. Like this is something that you can do against Trey, but New York tried to do some of this stuff last year, Pete, and, and they had no chance against him. And and it's because you need more ingredients than just like, oh, a guy at the point of attack and a big guy who can do some things on a switch. The Trey Young case is pretty interesting. And I I think that it's also simple in the fact that so this series to me has been the least interesting um, of the first rounds because the way that Miami plays defense to me, he, Atlanta just doesn't have enough to deal with that game plan that's all that's so focused on Trey Young. And then, you know, sure, tonight DeAndre Henry went off, but for the most part, it's just they can control that. Like Atlanta, uh, they're playing Capella played this game. He didn't play before that, but Onyeko uh, Kongwu was playing at center. And then Collins has kind of been banged up, but been in and out. So that's your four or five. You know, there's no Anthony Davis in there, uh, like offensively. There's no, there's no like real threat to a defense. And then in the backcourt, Herder, nice player, but he's not going to scare you a ton. And off the bench, you know, Wright and Gallinari, Bogdanovich, I like as a player too. But it's just, it's not enough to beat a really good playoff defense like Miami. And so I mean, that's. Go ahead, beat. Sorry, I mean Atlanta was second in the NBA in offense this season. 
they got a lot of guys that can score. Bogdanovich didn't didn't play tonight, but even guys like Collins, like Collins is a scorer. He's not a go-to guy, but they've got weapons at at a variety of different positions, right? It's not just it's not just Trey that they it, they're they're weaker on the defensive end, but I think that I, I don't know. I think that locking have, them up they don't have a lot of primary weapons. John John Collins has averaged nine point four points this series. Right. But part of that is one, he's come back from an injury, but two, like Miami's defense is good, but I don't know. I just like Atlanta was the second best offense in in the league this year. They were a conference finalist last season. Miami didn't have Jimmy or Kyle Lowry in this game. Which speaks to Atlanta to me. So last year, so they beat the Knicks who were clearly fraudulent last year, right? We've been over that a little bit, but they took advantage of year one Tibbs and played harder than a lot of teams because Tibbs demanded it. And then they also, there were no home crowds in that. So that made a big difference to have the coach that we're kind of putting over the top. And so then the next round was Philly and Philly. I think we've sort of seen a lot of the warts um, of Philly. That was of course the Ben Simmons series and, you know, Embiid not stepping or stepping up, but not like not a ton. Then they get to Milwaukee who doesn't have Giannis for the bulk of that series. So it was like, it was a very um, sort of unique unique run in the way that like Portland was a conference finalist a couple of years ago. Right. But ended up getting smashed by golden state. And I just, I don't, I don't believe in Atlanta, I guess is the point. I, I'm not arguing that Atlanta is like yeah. a great team or anything, but they won 14 out of their last 19 games. I believe they had the best home record in the NBA in the second half of the season. They won 20 out of their last 23 at home. They're my it, to me, they were a team that made the conference finals certainly under uh, unusual circumstances. I agree that they were not a conference finalist caliber team in most seasons, but they were a good team that well they did finish I, eighth though pete right like they were four games above 500 this year they, and they, they were, were but he- if you look pretty at, healthy they yes but if you look at their second half of the season compared to the first half of the season i think that there's we, we've talked about the, the bubble tax i think that there's been a less severe one for this year like seeing all these guys just across the league get hurt so far during these playoffs like having guys like jimmy and kyle lowry you know, Middleton, Booker, we've we've had a few other guys over the last few days that, you know, that have missed games. And I, I think that there's a a slightly less severe version of the bubble tax this year that Atlanta was a team that did not start particularly well, but they have talent, particularly on the offensive end, to where I don't know, I I I regard them as a better team than but, your normal well, eight seed. But so they're second in offense, right? But that's partly because they're twenty sixth in defense. You know? Like so, if you're, it's a little bit. So I, I Washington up was the up there best in offense in the offensive NBA. rating. I think that Miami is the exact sort of team that like Atlanta is going to struggle with to a certain extent, based off of where their strengths are on offense, which is still very Trey centric, and the specifics of Miami's defense and what they're able to do to a guard like like Trey Young, and. So this is where having Bam being able to play higher within actions and that agility and, and, yeah. and having bigger guards who can get over and through screens and bother Trey in ways that that if you neutralize him, then there's a reason why Trey's on off stats are as good as they are. And there's a reason why Atlanta can be such a tricky matchup night to night during the regular season. But then when you drill down 
against them, you're able to do more and more things if you do not have to play in a drop. And that's the thing is Miami does not have to play in a drop. They just don't. They can shock and they can play at the level of the ball. And to a certain extent, I think this is a nice bridge to go into the Minnesota Memphis series is that that's a series as well, where now both teams are playing higher at the level of the ball. And I think it's disrupting the scoring guards that are in that series, especially John Morant. And and so maybe on the other half of this, if there's another thought around this series, then we could get to that on the other side of the break. But otherwise, let's shift gears. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So, Mike, you have ties to Minnesota, and we were texted a fair amount during the um, Memphis-Minnesota game tonight, which the Grizzlies won. They again came back in the fourth quarter from a double-digit deficit and won game five. They're now leading three games to two. Just go in whatever direction you want regarding this series and maybe start with some of the issues that some of the guards are having are you sure you don't want me and pete to just debate atlanta um for for another segment (laughs) (laughs) i did not think i don't know i did not expect that was going to happen it was like usually we just kind of agree on all these teams i was like oh okay you like the hawks perfectly solid team yeah they are 
they are a perfectly solid team. They got trounced though by I a mean, very good. Yeah, they're team. perfectly solid 14th, 15th ranked, you know, team in the league. But I digress. Well, I didn't I actually regret. Okay. So Minnesota. No, they're better please, than Denver and Utah, Mike. You could um I don't think that's true. I don't know why actually. we're doing, why are we doing this. Why are we even doing this? Let's talk about it. Oh my god. We just can't we just can't we just can't fucking we can't leave it, it alone. We can't help it. We can't Sorry. help it. Sorry. We can't yeah. help each other. It's it's not like embrace debate. Embrace we're both debate. competitive. So, yes. Memphis and Minnesota, Mike. <laughs> just genuine feelings. Not not even okay. I to me, so I'm watching this game, right, as so my wife is watching it as a Minnesota fan, uh, right? So like that's that's where we met, and I've I've had to. There's been a certain part of me when I watch them every year, I get a little bit further distance, right? And I'm and, and, and sort of just watching them like mm-hmm. they're any team now. Um, even mm. though in my heart of hearts, sure, like if it's if it's not uh, the best thing in my for my life is for the Lakers to win. Uh, if we take that aside, then. Sure, like the Wolves would be uh, that second team, right, that I would be rooting for. But I'm still kind of watching this more in the context of trying to analyze it and like, all right, what are we going to talk about with Darius and Pete on this? And I also think that thanks to doing this podcast with you guys, especially, I'm watching it a little bit more um, from that kind of like Coach Darius, Coach Pete viewpoint. And in, in oh, we going to get Coach Mike. The stuff, yeah, I want to hear Coach Mike's really getting irritated. I was really getting irritated with with it's this it's a couple of different things, but the first and most important element of it is like a team finding who they are within their within the context of that team. And in the playoffs, that matters so much more than in the regular season, because you can kind of just get through regular seasons most night based on scouting reports and and talent. But, you know, the Celtics figured it out earlier this year and Brown had to take somewhat, at least, of a subservient role to Tatum on offense. Buy into being more of that support player. And guess what? He still was able to get his because the ball would then get back to him and it just worked better. Like the they figured out what that balance was going to be. Smart figured out what the balance was going to be where he was going to initiate some but not do as much, right? It just, they figured it out and we're seeing the benefit of that. Yeah. Well, so for Minnesota, they have not figured it out. And Edwards and Towns and Russell, and to me, the guy that clearly has to take that subservient role, play more off the ball, hit some open shots, sure, attack uh, on the weak side from time to time, but is D'Angelo. And D'Angelo isn't doing that every time, I- including the one possession that was that really, um, I think, was frustrating probably for Wolves fans to watch was uh, final minute. And D'Lo, with 18 seconds left in the shot clock, brushes Edwards aside, who's the one guy that's been getting to the rim, especially with Jaron Jackson Jr. on the bench, right? And Clark having to come over and he's not quite, he can't quite impact Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or Cat, who's not only shooting the ball well, um, but is making, made, had just made a couple of good decisions. And he waves him off, goes ISO on Desmond Bain, good defender, and draws help and still shoots a fadeaway that's like 15 feet, okay, two feet off. And so that kind of a little thing. Now, Yes, ISO scoring sometimes has to happen, and it's not always the worst thing to have a guy that can go get his. But that just it sort of shows this break in the chain mentally of where what that team of how that team should be scoring and when. And it, it, maybe I overreacted to it, but I'm curious if you guys noticed that and and how much you, I thought. I think that's been basically for a team that played really well. You know, it, it's it's really tough to have some possessions like that because they deserve to win that game based on how they played overall. The end of games often comes down to that ISO scoring, but 
He's not your best ISO scorer on the floor at that moment. And Edwards had created a couple of buckets. And a lot of those shots, Mike, are those over-the-top type shots. Like one of the things I love about Edwards is the elevation that he gets on his jumper. And that's something that in end-of-game situations, D, when everybody's minding their P's and Q's on defense, they're in a stance, they're locked in, they've already played you four times, and they've already guarded you four times, so they know all the moves and your counter moves and all that. you got to be able to get to somewhere that nobody else can access that's one of the reasons why small guards can have problems because once everybody's locked in those passing lanes aren't there that you were talking about they don't have that access to a go-to move or a something they can do when the defense plays does exactly what they're supposed to do a guy like edwards can do that a guy like delo doesn't quite have that in 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 his game a guy like delo doesn't have that against anybody defensively he could have that against certain matchups but down the stretch of a game and in that type of possession where it's like we need to get one shot and one good shot against a set defense that speaking to Mike's point you got to give the ball to your best guy if you're going to go look to attack and match up on one-on-one the best guy there to is clearly Edwards and I think the fact that there is that kind of like get out of my way I'm going to go to work when you're not that guy speaks to Mike's point about not having it figured out Darius can if I can redirect this to you that to me just it also is kind of a theme with that team, right? And in that so yes, in that specific situation, it hurt them, but I think it just also hurts them over the course of the series. And by the way, Pat Bev, same problems. Who at times he's been great. He's been the biggest reason why they've changed their culture there defensively. And he should get a lot of credit for that. I would have had him on my all NBA second team defense. But he also at times just gets so excited and so into it that he'll just like foray into the paint, right? In, in these, we didn't have to, there wasn't a lot of that on that. Like, for example, when the Lakers were winning those playoff games, usually it was with an exception here or there, it was controlled by LeBron. And then when AD had it, in, it was in the spots where you wanted him to attack. And I, I just, I feel like that's got to be something for a team to make a real run that has to be crystallized. So the Wolves have blown two double digit leads in fourth quarters. It's going to be very difficult to win a playoff series if you have to win six games. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. No. Yeah. Right? Because in theory, in theory, the Wolves should have already won this series. They have two wins already. Memphis has three. They gave up a 21-0 run in game three and lost that game. They were up, I think, 13 or 15 points going into the fourth quarter. They had a 10-point lead, I think, with... 10 minutes left. And so everything that you're saying about D'Angelo Russell is correct. I thought his decision, I thought his general decision making this game was pretty bad, even going back to the early parts of the game where he was penetrating but kicking with no advantage and throwing it into passing lanes where there were arms and all kinds of stuff. I also thought that Car Anthony Towns. For all of his numbers, and I thought that he he had a huge three, and Anthony Edwards hit a huge three as well. I thought that Cat was just like, I got Dylan Brooks on me, but you don't see me basically just shoving this dude down to the paint in order to get a post touch. Anthony Edwards had was they were running ball screens between him and D'Lo in order to get Ja Morant on on him. You didn't see Edwards basically just put his head down and get to the basket and try to get a bucket. No, he took long jumper after long, long jumper. The one time he did try, try to drive, he still pulled up. He got an offensive rebound and then he short armed the putback. 
right? So what I saw from Minnesota was a bunch of dudes not making the right decisions Mm. on any play. I saw a young team that didn't know how to win a basketball game. And then I saw Pat Bev foul out and make several like suspect plays as well. Like, oh, well, no one else is doing anything. Let me drive and try to score on a dude. And then Mike, I look at the assist numbers. DeAndre Russell had eight assists, so he led led the team. So even within the context of like all of the poor decision making, and you know how many assists Anthony Edwards had? He had zero, zero. assists, and Carl yeah. Anthony Towns had one. Right, and and so when you're talking about the usage of who your playmakers are going to be. At least Russell is trying to create some action for guys at times as well, as well, even though his decision making, he does need to pull back, especially in the shot pass decisions. And so there's a lot it's going just kind on, of more on here. his terms is all. Yes. You know, yeah, like, but you're, but you're right. So he didn't make more of the plays, but it's a little bit like when Westbrook has a lot of the assists. It's like, well, yeah, but like I, I want the basketball and, you know. And so I look at the Wolves and I see a team that isn't ready yet. Now, they're hanging tight in these games because they got athletes and they're giving jaw fits at the point of attack. And Jaron Jackson Jr. has like suddenly regressed in a playoff series where he looks like first or second year dude who cannot stop fouling and has no confidence in what his own offensive shot creation is is going to look like. And that's why they're hanging tight in this series. And that's why it's 3-2, right? But I see a couple of young teams that, Memphis has one leg up in terms of the race, in terms of we know what the hell that we're doing. And that one leg up has gotten them one more win. But it's like a good series without it being high quality basketball yet. But it's a good, fun series. All right, let's uh, let's take another break. When we come back, the final game of the night, Phoenix and the Pelicans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So yesterday's pod was question like a, a bit of an oh like are the Suns suddenly in jeopardy? Um, and D, we didn't get to hear your thoughts on the Suns uh, in in that pod. And so I'd love to hear. I saw a game tonight where, as a smaller team, that it was the best example of how you can win as being a smaller team um, while also making some adjustments. We saw a little JaVale and DeAndre Ayton playing at the same time to match the two big lineups of the Pelicans. And there were little adjustments within that, but I thought the Suns were quicker to the spot yeah. and they executed, especially in the, the places where you need 
the way you take down bigger players is you swarm them. And I thought that their ability to swarm and sandwich rebound and just uh, that that they were the best example of of how to win that way. Mikhail Bridges was tremendous. And then obviously they do, they do have a big guy in DeAndre Ayton who's got, you know, great shot making ability, or, you know, in, in a bunch of different spots. Talk to me a bit about what you saw from a Phoenix Suns win where they, they kept the Pelicans at an arm's distance for most of the night. Yeah, I just think that this is the version of the Suns that can definitely win this series and maybe even as early as the next game. That when you don't have all of your dudes, the thing that stood out in game four and was in contrast to to this game is how off track the Pelicans were able to get the Suns in terms of what their execution is, right? And Monty Williams, if there's one thing that you've had to appreciate about the Suns in their turnaround under Monty and with Chris Paul, is that their general execution level went from, I don't know, like a 25 or a 30 on any given night before Chris Paul and and Monty got there to like in between 85 and 95. Yeah. Almost every night. Yeah. Right. And so to see some of these games where it's just like, oh, look at this. You're at 60 now. Like, where'd that come from? Because we haven't seen a lot of that this year from from the Suns. But this was another night, I thought, where their execution went up a level and their attention to detail went up like two or three notches from where it's been at various points this series. And so that crispness and sharpness, I think, got the Pelicans on on their heels where in a battle of like skill and tactics versus like strength and physical advantages, the skill and tactics won out. And then they still had enough physicality with a guy like Aiton and then JaVale and in his own way, Bridges and that swarming mentality that, well, that you discussed, Pete, I thought all of that stuff combined to basically say like, no, we're the superior team. And that's what I saw in, in this game. And we'll see if that carries over to game six when they're not at home and the crowd isn't booing Alvarado every single time he actually just like steps within three feet of Chris Paul. Right. And so I think there are adjustments though, that, that new Orleans can now make and sort of say, okay, well, this is how we've got to get the game back. Yes. We did spend some time last pod without you. And so it's good to get your perspective here on it, because I think that tonight's game, the typical game five at home is the rally around the flag home crowd, Mm -hmm. desperation mode. You know, this is the one that we have to have. And it's very difficult for the road team to win that, even when the talent is really close. And which is why, despite all we we just said about Minnesota, it was impressive that they were in that game to that extent. Mm -hmm. You know, that they somehow found a way to hang around. Uh, Now, I also think, though, that that speaks some to Memphis's inexperience uh, as well. But to focus on this series specifically, so... The final score ends up being 112.97, and Phoenix had it in, you know, pretty good control. But I think that New Orleans able to kind of hang and battle, even when they weren't, it was not their A game. They did not play particularly well. You know, Ingram was seven for 19. I think he he's had to carry such a load that he yeah. was a little bit fatigued. They were throwing, they were trapping him more aggressively. Yeah. yeah. In this part, Pete, trying to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, I mean, and then who else was going to CJ was seven for 22. 
right? One for eight from three. And so I think that they, New Orleans put so much into their game four specifically to get that win. And it was such a high for them that then they had to come down. And even with all the stuff that happened with Chris Paul. So this was one of those, like the, it would have been hard for me to see New Orleans, even, even if they had the same energy, uh, getting that win. But I now think that it flips back to because mm. I think they're close enough talent wise that I, th- I think that New Orleans can win game six. And then I would go back to picking uh, Phoenix in game seven. But I since Pete Darius had, Pete had me going on the telling the story about the, uh, the Orlando Magic series in 2009. I and before they got to the finals, um, it made me think back to Houston, that series where Lakers were clearly the better team. But Houston had some guys and they had some matchups and they were it was just kind of a weird team. And so on a given night, like when the Lakers really focused on them in game five is the best example, completely smashed them, right? That home game five, 118 to 78. They just took them apart. Then they went to Houston and lost game six by 15, 95 to 80. And so what happens in game seven? They come out right from the jump and and take care of business again. They win by 19 points, like 89. So it wasn't like the series was ever really in doubt. But and I don't think the gap now with Devin Booker out is as big as that in this series. Like I think New Orleans is actually the team that, as they showed in keeping game five, somewhat competitive. I think that showed a lot about them, Pete, and it makes me eager to see what happens in game six. Yeah, if I could jump on that Houston analogy, that was a Yao team. And one of the reasons that was an unusual team is because Yao was seven foot six and talk about an over the top advantage. Remember that beautiful jump shot he had? He had, I wish his career was longer. He was a really good player. And uh, yeah, but Yao was great guy too. Great. Something people don't know about Yao, one of the, one of the, the most fun uh, guys to talk to in the entire NBA would give anybody time. He would just sit back in his locker, grin on his face, uh, really like a sweet guy, insightful. I, that's That'll be another time. Maybe we'll get to Yao story time, but Yao is one of my favorites. I would love that. I did not know that. That's uh, so. And as a player, there wasn't really anybody else in the league like him at that. Like he was a seven, six guy with touch. And so B.I. Um, had a rough night in the second half, especially uh, where he got to his spots and got his shots and it just wasn't really falling. He had a fall to the ground. He went up, you know, attacked the basket, got fouled and landed like right on his tailbone and was kind of struggling after that. And so uh that combined with McCollum had a rough second half as well. I think there's a lot to that point, Mike, about they kind of they, they lost some gas at the end of that game. But it was also to to your point, D, that they were a step ahead. Phoenix was, yeah. I thought, for much of the night and really kind of I actually I think they win game six just because they started doing things, for example, the, the blitzing BI, that that's going to play into the weaker parts of of BI's game, especially when it's these are reads not coming off of pick and rolls where he's gotten really good on, on that read. But kind of those like, oh, we're going to trap you 30 feet from the basket and we're going to, you know take away all your strong side passes and you're going to have to make that skip pass over the top to the, to the weak side corner. Right. And just, just kind of like mixing things up, I think is going to be tough for the Pelicans going forward. And then if they're, 
on minding their P's and Q's on the defensive boards with, you know, sandwich rebounding, put a body on them down low. They, they limited more of that in this game. They rebounded more effectively than in, than in previous games. I think that they've kind of found the formula, even without, without Booker. Um, they needed a good game from campaign. It was his best game of the series. And, uh, so I, they'll have that momentum. And I agree with Mike that that, dynamic certainly shifts but what i saw was uh, of that question are the suns in trouble after watching that performance i i don't think they are i'll be interested to see what kind of adjustments willie green makes particularly from a substitution standpoint um he's obviously been putting a lot of length and size on chris paul um and that's worked at times but putting a player as big as Herb Jones on him also makes that screen a little bit easier to set because it's just a bigger target to yeah. set the screen on. And so Chris is going to use a screen regardless of who's defending him, and then he's going to snake it regardless, right? And, and so, and, and Herb also didn't have a lot left on the other end, right? Like because of him guarding Chris Paul so serious, he was one for five. Yeah, no, that's right. And so I'll be interested to see how much more Alvarado can play and if he can pick up Chris Paul 94 feet, like, I don't know, for 75% of the possessions that they're on the floor together. Because I think this series, the Suns are, I think one through five, the Suns have... um certain advantages in terms of like who can actually score and do more on the court. I really like Aiton and I really like Bridges and I really like Johnson. Yeah. And so those are guys that I think have just a little bit more shot creation than they're giving credit for. And then, but they really do depend on Chris Paul and the system in order to put them in advantageous positions. And so the thing I'll be interested in seeing is can you put Chris Paul in positions where he's working so much harder and in theory, putting Herb Jones on him does that in theory with the size and the length and the obstruction of view. But Alvarado is a pest. He is an irritant. And you know how they talk about like, oh, you bully a bully, right? Like, oh, a bully comes to bully you, you punch him in the mouth. Well, there's no bigger irritant than Chris Paul. And so I think that same theory applies. Like, oh, you want to. Yeah, no, (laughs) exactly. No, you get one of those other dudes, right? And so there's no wonder that like who's Chris Paul's biggest feud like in the league is probably what, like Rondo? Right. So that's another dude that's just like, oh, I'm just going to irritate the shit out of you. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, I'm just going to be all Very up similar. in there. Yep. Like, that same personality. And so I'll be interested to see if there are changes that sort of switch up, because you would think putting a smaller dude on on Chris Paul might make his life easier, but not if he has to face ball pressure. Every single possession. And then because what the Suns are doing is just like, OK, well. 
you like someone else bring the ball up and then do they have to play two guards more or give the ball to Shamit more or give the ball to Cam Johnson more and, and and Mikhail Bridges more and say you initiate the offense or bring it up and then give it to Chris because then that can throw off the rhythm of their offense too so I think there's more adjustments to be made Pete I don't know if it leads to a win in game six for New Orleans but there's other cards to play here that I'm interested to see if they do get played I like it let me ask a box score question to um, to Pete for a second here, because I, I think that if you just look at sometimes the, the players, the first thing they'll do after the game, they'll at, look at the physical box score. And there are a couple things on there. They'll jump out and then they'll the coach will speak, you know, and then the next day they'll go into film and they'll really iron in and then they'll watch their individual film with an assistant coach next to him a lot of times. Uh-huh. But the so so the first thing here. Right. So Ingram seven for 19 McCollum seven for 22. And then Bridges, 12 for 17. In campaign, he, he ended up missing a lot of shots late, but was 4 for 10 and like actually gave them some pop off the bench, which they, which they hadn't had. So New Orleans can go can get on that plane and be like, oh, come on, man. We'll get back to sure. game six. Like, that's not happening again. B.I.'s not going 7 for 19. C.J.'s definitely not going 7 for 22. And Bridges, damn sure, isn't going 4 for 4 from 3, uh, right, with in 12 for 17 overall. So, like, uh, Chris Paul was was good, you know, 8 for 18. Aiden was good, pretty typical for him, 8 for 13. But so those are, Pete, what did you see in terms of how they were getting their shots? And in, in like, do you think that that part is, is, is going to flip and then that would give New Orleans, at least for game six, a better chance? Again, I'm still picking Phoenix to win the series. Yeah, so it was the defensive adjustments from Phoenix that were more, this is going to be difficult for New Orleans to navigate this. And like, Darius, I thought I made a, made a good argument for some of the remaining cards to to play. I'm not as confident in them, but he moved me a little bit o- away from that for sure. But yeah, the trapping uh, trapping bi in particular, and then their approach to the boards. I think that that their defense from this game is sustainable. The bridges going four for four from three is not, but I think that. What I started seeing in that series uh, that that begged that question is, are they in trouble? Was like, oh, Phoenix isn't able to get stops on these guys when they want to yeah, get the stops on them. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? And so, like, I think that Phoenix has enough offensively to – I don't know if it's going to be Bridges one night or if – Maybe it's CP3 that goes 12 for 18 the next game instead. Uh, but I just thought that Phoenix's defensive adjustments were like, okay, you made things difficult when you wanted to make things difficult. When I see a team of their caliber like lock in in the last couple minutes of a close game and they can't like stop a guy like BI or they can't stop CJ or they're just getting good look after good look. I'm like, uh oh. So I, I just saw that being shored up a little bit. I also thought too, just just one last thing. Phoenix's transition defense was so much better. Oh, I think yeah. New Orleans had like four fast yeah. break points or something like that. And so Phoenix is never going to be like a super fast team, especially without Booker. Like he's a guy that can race the floor a little bit more. And Chris Paul teams have never really played fast. But them getting stops yeah. allows them to play at the proper pace and tempo within without having to walk the ball up after a made basket right or after dealing with like seven offensive rebounds on like a single possession the way that new orleans was getting which basically drags you back and makes you play even slower and at the tempo that new orleans wants because you're not sending anyone out 
right? And and so there's stuff like that that have definitely that has shifted more towards Phoenix. And if it stays that way, like New Orleans is going to have trouble scoring still, like it, because they need those open court chances. They need the Suns in a scramble sit situation to create the open threes for all of their shooters, right? And not allow cj to like basically be draped all over by like a bigger wing like like bridges and for crowder to be able to hold on on ingram and 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 just rough them up right and so there's stuff that new orleans needs to go their way a little bit more and like you pete like i do question if that is going to go all of the way in their direction but there are things that they can do to try to facilitate that stuff Part of the fun of a seven-game series. Uh, I'm certainly loving us bouncing around the league like this. Um, all right, we'll be back tomorrow with more. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. A lot of Laker fans well, standing around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.